0: Digital technology lets us craft exciting content and communications, words, images, audio and video of a high quality and low budget undreamed of only a few years ago. Whilst digital communications can enhance your brand and generate leads, you can't beat a good live presentation for delivering a story or message. But for some people, presenting in front of an audience is amongst their greatest fears. My guest today is a journalist who's embraced digital technology to great effect and who offers training for those afraid of getting up on their feet and those looking to improve their presentations. Listen to David's views on digital communications in the financial services industry. Listen to his tips and anecdotes on how to hone your presentation skills. That's all right here in episode 34 of the Marketing, Protection and Finance podcast.
1: Welcome, you're listening to The Podcast for providers and advisors looking to share business ideas and inspiration in the world of protection and finance. For each episode, you can find the show notes and links to things we talked about at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash mpaf. So let's get on with the show and here's your host, Roger Edwards.
0: So let's get started with today's interview and I'm delighted to introduce you to David Warsfold. David has over 30 years experience as a journalist mainly covering the insurance industry, financial services and politics. He has a broad experience of editorial management in large and small publishing companies, launching and relaunching publications, brand development through the launch of conferences, awards and websites, and of overseeing production and design services. He's been the editor of Post Magazine, reinsurance and insurance age and he's three times winner of the Insurance Journalist of the Year Award, winner of the best general insurance journalist at the 1999 Financial Services Media Awards and the Lifetime Achievement Award in 2007. David launched the British Insurance Awards, the Rehabilitation First Awards, the Cover Magazine Protection Awards, and established the All-Party Parliamentary Group on Insurance and Financial Services. He has extensive experience of realigning content creation and delivery for the modern multi-platform mobile world, especially working with publishing teams that need to move from a print-centric environment to a web-first world of today. He has an extensive experience of using social media to promote content, products, businesses and organisations, including building video and audio content for incisive media's websites. So, David, welcome to the Empath Podcast. What? good morning. David, that's a fairly impressive CV I've just read out for you there.
2: You, you collect things as you go through life, don't you? I mean, it, it's a function of having been around in, in the media and in the financial
0: services sector for quite a number of years. And you've taken quite a strong interest in the development of digital technology and social media over the last few years, haven't you?
2: Well, absolutely. I mean, it was quite clear a few years ago that uh, you know the, the world of publishing in particular uh, was going to uh, undergo a huge transformation. I mean, it had a massive challenge as... As the digital revolution gathered pace because you had this sort of shifting of the, the tectonic plates of publishing, if you like, as you had this migration from print to, to digital, but then sitting on top of that, particularly the publications that I've been associated with publishing for the financial services sector, sitting on top of that, the mother of all recessions. So the scope for publishers to really proactively invest their way through the digital revolution has as, been somewhat limited, which has made it even more challenging. But actually... I, th- I think has made the responses more creative.
0: And we want to talk today about the digital revolution and about social media. And also, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the work you've been doing, helping advisors and other financial professionals to hone their presentation skills. But before we get to that, David, tell us a little bit about your background, where you came from, what your ambitions are, basically, what makes you tick?
2: <laughs> I I mean, quite simply, my, my ambition – was always to work in the media, to be a journalist. Uh, I, yeah i've I've always been a good writer right from when I was at school, and I think my fascination with newspapers can be traced back to the, the typical primary school project that I think most people of my generation did at some stage, where you were asked to bring in a copy of that day's newspaper. And um I, I can't for the life of me remember what the story was. Um, my primary school class was huge. There were 50 of us in it. Wow! And half of them read The Telegraph because they came from a posh estate. The rest of us read The Daily Mirror because we came from the council estate. There <laughs> was sharp division. But there were four different front pages on The Daily Mirror that day. And that absolutely fascinated me. As I said, I can't for the life of me remember what the big breaking story was overnight that caused them to change front page four times. But that had me hooked. And, you know, thus I think I, from that day on, I was destined to some sort of career in the media. And more recently, I, as you said very kindly on the CV, I've you know, worked for publishers large and small, worked at very senior levels in editorial management. Last 18 months, I've, I've gone back to my heartland skill of you know, primarily being, being a journalist, being a communicator, actually is what I think about it, because, um, face to face content. Is, is content conferences seminars presentations are just another way of delivering content but,
0: and they just require a different set of skills i think fun. a lot of people Writing. forget that yeah. don't they that journalism is just another form of communication. And indeed, as we mentioned in, this, in the social media and the content marketing uh, world, quite a lot of people are hiring journalists to be their content editors or editorial calendar producers, because that sort of communication is absolutely ideally suited to the digital age.
2: Yes, it is. I think you're right. I think the financial services sector is slowly waking up to to that opportunity. Yeah, I, I think you can see some of the things that have gone wrong, yeah, you know, particularly the social media has come along as a, as as a great um communication channel. That this it doesn't work for financial services if you haven't got good content behind it. Social media is a great content marketing platform for financial services. It 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 is a horrendously useless product marketing platform, partially because of course the the, the regulators are incredibly nervous about social media as, as, as a product marketing platform. So forget it. Yeah, why, why, would you, why would you try and do that? If you've got great content on your website, if you've created great content, social media is a fantastic platform for sharing that content and getting engagement with your audience. From there, you build a conversation with them that conversation can then lead you into talking about what what sort of products they that
0: they need. That's quite an interesting uh, subject just to dig a little bit deeper into, and and it reminds me of an article which uh, I think it was published in Cover magazine. I think the headline was something like CEOs are fearful of overregulation, and I just wondered whether it's actually the CEOs that are, are worried of over of overregulation per se, or whether it's actually their Platinum plating of the regulatory guidelines that actually creates the masses of regulatory red tape that we seem to tie ourselves in knots with within the financial services industry. From a journalist point of view, is 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 that what you see happening?
2: Uh, to to a, to a certain extent, yes. I mean, I can understand why companies are you know are very fearful because there are. I mean, there are endless examples of, of retrospective regulatory investigations and moving of the goalposts. So you can have a bit of sympathy with chief executives who are cautious. But if I look at some of the you know, the work I've done recently in trying to help companies in the financial services sector understand how to use social media, I mean, some of them have many rules imposed on them that actually made it impossible to use social media. You know, the idea that every tweet has to go through a compliance department that is some way detached from the marketing communications team. I mean, it's just perfectly absurd. And I mean, I do. I've said to companies, well, if compliance really feel they need to be close to it, then sit them with the marketing communications team, because then they'll understand the nature of the conversations. They'll be able to respond immediately if, if they feel they, they need to intervene. I just think there's a, there's a lack of imagination often in how companies respond to to the regulatory challenges uh, i think the, i think they make it harder for themselves than it needs to be i mean that's that's just one small example, is, is, is integrate compliance and, and marketing. You, you'll get a much more dynamic response that people can feel comfortable with.
0: I find it flabbergasting, actually, this whole idea of having to comply individual tweets. I mean, I've always described Twitter in particular, but I suppose this could apply to all sorts of social media. It's almost like you're in a big virtual pub the size of the world, and mm. and if you were in a normal pub, you know, you go on Friday night after work, you go with your friends into the pub, somebody comes up to you and says, oh, I recognize you, you work for XYZ provider. Can I just ask you a quick question about critical illness cover or investment bonds? Um, and they ask you the question and they say, well, thanks for the question. Um, I'm now going to go away for 48 hours and I'll come back to you and answer that question in the pub you would just say, oh yeah, an investment bond does this or a criticalness policy does that. Now, okay, you would have to be careful that you weren't giving advice or anything like that, but factual information, you would just reply instantly. And Twitter's the same. You almost have to reply instantly, otherwise it defeats the entire...
2: But I, I agree, it yeah. does. It does defeat the entire object. It, and and I, th- I think this is what people lose sight of, that it is, it is a conversation. It's not about social media. It's actually about the quality of people you have in your company, the quality of your training. You trust them to pick up the phone. You trust them to go out and meet people. You don't take a compliance person with you to every client meeting. You've trained them. You know they keep records. I mean, social media is, it's auditable. I mean, it's there. Um, You're not going to lose the audit trail. So the fears they have, I, I think, are largely unfounded. But as I said, the imaginative way of dealing with it is to embed compliance in, in with marketing communications, Steve. Good to me. It must be a lot more exciting um if you're if if you work in compliance to be sitting with the marketing team and using Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn than uh, <laughs> sitting sitting with a load of
0: compliance officers. P- possibly you uh, might have some compliance people uh, listening to this who'll be saying, Yeah, that's great, let's get ourselves into marketing and there'll be a lot of marketing communications people listening to this saying, No, 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 we don't want them anywhere. Near us, but I understand exactly what you're saying. We've got to, the the marketing and the compliance side have got to balance each other out and come up with a a common sense and sensible approach to this whole issue.
2: The Financial Conduct Authority launched a consultation on social media towards the end of last year. We haven't actually seen the the, the outcome of it yet, but um, it was a classic case of. I wouldn't start from here because it was all about using social media for product marketing. Well, why would you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's about content marketing. It's about having a conversation with your customers. It's not about selling product. Now, I can understand what the FCA is fearful of is the bucket shop wide boys um with very dodgy products trying to, trying to exploit Vulnerable people in in a very simplistic way, and goodness knows that's gone on from time immemorial. But it showed that actually the regulator doesn't understand social media because they just talked about it as a, as a product marketing vehicle. They didn't understand it, it, its broader potential.
0: So let's just be, let's just um, cover that off there, David, and and just give people who are listening to the podcast a, a very simple example of what you're saying there. So a product marketing tweet and and a and a poor non-compliant product marketing tweet could be something that says guaranteed 50% return on our investment bond, click here for details. So that's bad. Whereas you could say, click here for a video that explains how investment bonds work.
2: Yes, that's right. Absolutely. And because the, and the video, which might go into more detail, or it's a piece of written content on a website, doesn't really matter what it is. Yes, you do take more care over that. You do make sure that any advice that comes through in that is is compliant, but you're marketing the content, and it's the content is 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 compliant. So yeah, that's you've you've sort of got the essence of uh, you know of, of what the right approach to using social media in the financial
0: services sector is. David, one of the main reasons that. Uh drew me to your profile on LinkedIn although we have spoken many times over the uh, over the last few years was something that you've recently started doing again which is training professionals in presentation skills and this led to a conversation over the phone a few weeks ago and I, and I found it fascinating because it linked into something uh, no pun intended it linked into something that uh, Phil Calvert was talking about on the podcast a few weeks ago now Phil trains financial advisors how to use social media. He also does presentation skills courses as well. And his view was that perhaps more than ever before, seminars provided by financial advisors to the public are perhaps a really powerful way of talking to potential clients about quite complicated subjects. And one of the reasons why quite a lot of financial advisors don't take that route, apart from the sort of, I suppose, the past visions of it just being seminar selling, which of course it really isn't. It's more about group communication. But I think it's that almost that fear of standing up in front of an audience and, and talking. So has that motivated you to move into this uh, area of training?
2: Yes, yes it has. I, I mean I've helped uh, a lot of people over the years make the journey from what I call from you know behind the desk or behind the computer screen to the front of the stage because uh, it, you know, if you're going to develop your career almost whatever profession you're in at some stage you are going to have to stand up in front of audiences and uh, most people I, there are surveys done that show that people fear making a speech or a presentation more than they fear death wow <laughs> which is quite breathtaking really uh it i mean it is one of the number one fitness you know th- that people have in their lives but if you can do it well it's a great way of communicating and engaging with people. So if you don't master the the skills of presenting, of standing on your feet, of communicating with people face to face, you are going to miss a lot of opportunities. And I think that's particularly true in the financial services sector at the moment, because, you know, there are so many huge issues that um, advisors are having to get to grips with. And most Importantly, their customers are having to get to grips with, to to name but a few. You know the complete upheaval in the pensions market. Most people don't even know where to begin now when it comes to to thinking about pensions planning. There is a vast amount of help that they need. The stress is on the NHS. Are are we? Is that going to lead us to? Boom in private medical insurance. Indeed. You know, preparing and investing for old age, for long-term care. You know, I think people are beginning to understand that you can't see your house as, as your nest egg to provide for all of these things in, in what's going to be a very long old age for most people. So there are vast issues. They're, they're big issues and people are, are hungry for information and knowledge and understanding and insight you know, and talking to people in groups because People like being in groups when, when they're confronted with issues like that because they'll be interested in the questions that other people in similar positions are going to ask. And uh, yeah, so the group approach to communicating on those sort of issues works really well.
0: Again, it's just another element of content, as you say, in the same way as producing a video about the pensions changes is another form of content, running a seminar. Is, is the sort of thing that people want to consume. And it's the sort of thing that's going to get a financial advisor and indeed a product provider in front of more people. But what do you think are the, are the things that are stopping people from getting up in front of an audience of people and talking about these issues? Now, you've already said that some people fear public speaking more than they fear death. There are. Loads of books that you can go out and buy, you know, how to talk like Ted. And you've got all these books that tell you how to structure a presentation. All these books that tell you you should be using PowerPoint. All these books that tell you you shouldn't be using PowerPoint. Some of these books tell you where to stand on the stage, how to open, how to close. It sounds like it's a, it's a huge cottage industry trying to train people to present. What's your simple approach? to giving people advice on how to be a better presenter.
2: Uh, you're, you're quite right that there is, there's a vast amount of um, literature out there. There's a lot of advice. A lot of it is contradictory. But frankly, I think a lot of it's just plain wrong. My approach is to try and build on someone's own personality and the the strengths of that personality. Because we're talking about working here with people that have already been successful. They are successful financial advisors. They're successful managers. So there have to be things in their personality that have have made them successful. And I I try and take those and build on those, build on the, the, the bits of their personality that I know work on a stage, work when you're standing in front of a group of people. I, I get extremely annoyed at people who say that this is the way to present. And I, 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 you can see it. I mean, we've all been to conferences. I, I mean, management consultancies, big management consultancies, I think particularly guilty of this. To me, they they churn out clones. You get to a conference and the management consultant stands up and you get a a barrage of over complex PowerPoint presentations. And all the management consultants all talk in the same way, because they've had their personality coached out of them. You know, there is an XYZ firm way of presenting, and you will present in that way, and you will become a clone, you'll become a robot. Well, that doesn't work, because we, you know, we're we all human beings, we're sitting in an audience, we we're individual human beings and we respond to the individual on stage, the more that individual appears as themselves and appears comfortable with themselves, the more we're going to respond to them. Now, look, there are always things that people have in their personalities, there are traits they have that hold them back on stage. I'm well aware that, for instance, that I naturally talk quite quickly. and. And when you're nervous, which you're going to be when you're on stage, you tend to talk even faster than normal. So I know when I'm on stage, I have to tell myself to slow down, to pause, to drop the pace a bit, drop the voice a bit, and then pick it up again and go back. And that that makes a good good presentation that's a lot of introduces a lot of variety in pitch and pace but i have to be very aware of my tendency to to make one of the classic mistakes which is just to talk too fast and so you can you can work with people you can say well you know that works that what you do uh, naturally in communicating with people works so let's just build that and let's do that bigger on stage because it has to be bigger when you're in front of people and that, that's often the bit that people really struggle with is magnifying um, their personality on stage because he, you, you have to, to put it across to an audience and the bigger the audience the harder you have to do that. So I, I work very hard to, to build on what I think are people's natural strengths and I, I sort of get extremely annoyed when people say there is a here's, here is the way of presenting because that's rubbish. It just doesn't work for everybody.
0: And if people have got individual personalities, then that's obviously what you want to focus on. And that's what's going to make it interesting. see you go to a conference and there are 15 speeches over two days and everybody's the same. Then it's going to get very dull very quickly. Uh, but you can see how that this is, has developed. And again, the PowerPoint thing comes to the fore. I mean, I used to be the PowerPoint guru. I can remember turning up at the cover forum in London probably 10, 15 years ago, and the audiovisual producer was horrified that I had something like 79 slides. He says, you've only got 20 minutes to talk. What are you doing with 79 slides? I just said, well, I talk very fast. And I'm sort of going through a, a, a completely different phase of my presentations now. I tend to talk without slides at all. It's just, I think I've probably realised it's all about what I've got to say and how I put it across in my with my own personality rather than relying upon these slides as a crutch. And, and and I do have a laugh now when I go to a, a seminar or a, or, a, or a presentation and, and somebody s- puts on a slide up onto the screen and it's got minute writing. It's probably a table with actuarial charts or something. And the writing's so small that even the people on the front row can't read it. And he'll say something like, I'm sure that none of you can read this slide. And I'm just and sitting there thinking, the well, why the bloody hell did you put it up then?
2: <laughs> uh, and, uh, I Again, I would never be dogmatic about PowerPoint. There are plenty of times when PowerPoint can be a very useful aid you know you can put across quite complex topics uh with with the aid of powerpoint and sometimes it works and you have to learn when it does work and and when you use it you have to learn how to use it effectively so i wouldn't be dogmatic about that I I mean, another example, Roger, of the sort of dogmatism that you get in um, from, I I think, a lot of presentation trainers is the other classic bit of it is is never use a script. It will just be boring. It'll just sound like you're reading it out. But I say to that, really? Because there are times you would have been to some of the, the, the many the awards nights for instance yes, that, yes. Uh, that I've you know, I've launched you can't do an award night presentation with all those names company names categories you can't do that without a script you've got to learn to read from a script and also I always tell people the story that when Winston Churchill first got elected to Parliament he was already an all-action hero you know he he fought on the northwest frontier, he'd escaped from the Boers in South Africa. So he was a boy's own hero, got to Parliament. And the macho thing to do in Parliament of the late 19th century was to speak without notes. Right. Churchill was act- actually a, a very poor or public speaker. So he actually wrote his speeches out and memorised them, which is a, a very, very risky thing to do, as he found out. My politics lecturer at university told me that he once dried up in, in the middle of a speech in the House of Commons. Um, and I mean, I, I didn't believe him. So I, I spent a, a very long night in the university library going through dusty copies of Hansard. And <laughs> There is a speech where Churchill just dried up mid-sentence. After that, he always used a full script. You know, it worked for him. You know, some of the greatest speeches ever given in the English language were given by Churchill from a full script. What's more is you, when you read the word Churchill's words, you, you hear that, you know, that intonation that's very distinctive. Those emphases are marked in the script. That's how meticulous he was. Look, it, it worked for one of the greatest public speakers of the 20th, 20th century, so it can it can work for anybody. If it is right for you in certain circumstances then use a script you just have to learn to use it properly
0: so I get very annoyed by people that are very dogmatic
2: about all of these things
0: that's really interesting David and I was also quite interested in what your thoughts are on the actual structure of presentations because again you know classic beginning middle end or the classic cliche about presentations tell them what you're going to tell them tell them and then tell them what you've told them do these structures hold up or should we be looking at some different way of putting a presentation together
2: i i think broadly a lot of the um traditional structures uh, they they do work I mean there are a number of different ways of um, of looking at them. I think you've got to, the first thing you've got to do with the presentation is, is deciding what you're trying to do with it. Yes. Trying to inform people, persuade people, sell to people motivate people? Are you debating? Are you there to entertain? Or are you actually trying to combine several of those different elements? I, it, I think often people don't step back and say and think clearly enough about actually what, what the real objective is, is going to be. Yeah, I, and I always sort of, the bits you've got to work on really are are, are the beginning and the end. If, if those work, people remember a good beginning, they'll remember a good end. Um, it doesn't mean the middle, the rest of it can be rubbish, but uh, it, it does mean that you, you you've got the security of good bookmarks at either end. Uh, pe- people will will remember something from it. it I, I mean, it often it depends how long a presentation is going to be. I mean, Indeed, if it's a very yeah. short presentation, you don't need to tell people what you're going to say. Say it and tell people what you've said. But if it's going to be twenty or thirty minutes. It's probably not a bad thing to, as part of an introduction, to give them an idea of what the story is going to be.
0: Yeah, um, and of course, yeah, going, going back to what you said before about scripting, quite a lot of people don't script, as you say, but I've always been pretty dogmatic with the fact that I always script the beginning and I always script the end. Sometimes yeah, I'll script a bit in the, in the middle, but always the beginning and always the end.
2: Yeah, Yeah, you're telling a story. I mean, this is sort of my my, my journalist's background coming through. For me, what you do as a journalist is you tell a story. It doesn't matter whether it's a 100-word news story or a 3,000-word feature. You're telling a story. And if you don't have a sense of a narrative with that story then it's not going to engage the reader. It's the same when you stand on a platform. If you don't know where it's going to go, so if you don't know what the beginning is, if you can't tell people what the story is going to be and you know where the story is going to end, then actually you're not going to carry your audience with you. So yeah, I think I think people have to think very carefully about that. I, I mean people make I mean there are some classic mistakes which I, I you do see repeated. Yeah particularly you know with the benefit of you know, having a lot of quite you know very reliable audio visual support nowadays. How many presentations do you see where people start with the, with an arresting video? Well, you've got people's attention when you first step up, so you can use it very effectively. Do you you want to use a video there? Or if it's a long presentation, all the research says that after about 20 minutes, it doesn't matter how brilliant you are as a presenter, people's attention will drop. Well, perhaps actually that might be where you put the, the, the really interesting quirky video in and you 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 lift their attention levels. You do something different.
0: Storytelling comes up all the time on the Empath Podcast and we've we've debated that marketing these days is more about storytelling than it ever has been. And of course You've just said exactly the same thing. A good presentation has to include stories, has to include real-life examples, has to include emotion and feeling, and 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 those sort of stories always get the message across a lot better than just facts and figures and just lots of print on PowerPoint slides.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, why do I tell the story about Churchill and his use of scripts? Because I, I could I could explain in a very dry way why scripts work in certain circumstances. Turning it around, uh, you know, a, a a person and a person that most people know something of, it, it works. It, be, it becomes memorable to them, and people remember it. People remember stories about people. People remember stories that have emotion in them much more than presentations that are just full of dry facts. And yeah, I think. Yeah, there's always a danger, you know, with complex topics. And we talked about where, where, where are the opportunities for financial advisors? There are, they're there you know, around these very complex topics about pensions and so on and so forth. Um, there's always a danger that actually they, that they become very dry and you take the human out of it. You take the emotion out of it. And it's very important that, that, that you don't do that.
0: David tell everyone just a little bit about the course that you offer how long does it take uh, where do you offer these courses and uh, and what do people take away from it in terms of content
2: right well what I what I normally do is I I, I come into people's offices I mean if 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 that doesn't doesn't work then uh, we we can find a, a venue that does work I I usually try I try to work in groups I mean I will do one-to-one coaching is fine and I'm very happy to do that with people but Actually, uh, people learn from each other. Yeah, uh, worked in groups of sort of four to six for a day can achieve quite a lot. People have to be prepared to step out of their comfort zone because I don't just talk about scripts and structures. I actually, do a lot of work on how people use their voice, how they stand, and um, so people have to be prepared to do what they might find. Quite silly, mm-hmm. challenging voice exercises, but they're they're all exercises that you know professional voice coaches use that I've, you know, people that I've worked with over over the years, just to try and get them to realise actually the voice can do a lot more than they think it can do. Yes. So they have to be prepared to step out of their comfort zone a little bit. But yeah, you know, I get them to come and do some presentations, and we talk about those. We do some exercises. We look at what works and what what doesn't work for them. We can focus particularly you know on 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 their strengths and, and also on their weaknesses. I mean, people have to accept that um, we're not all superstars when we stand up on a stage in front, you know, and stand behind the podium. That um, you know, sometimes we have traits that that let us down, and they have to be prepared to to have those corrected. I also always ask people to bring some poetry or prose with them because actually reading someone else's words out again highlights um things that they they need to work on. It particularly, it's very good for helping people understand why they need to vary and pace a lot more indeed yeah so i do a lot of work on that and yeah, you know, if if there are people that use powerpoint we'll put in a module on on powerpoint um if there are people who need to do things like awards night presentations i can do that i mean obviously if you put all the modules in you're talking about a, a day and a half to a two-day course of course but, so, yeah you, you you can achieve quite a lot with people in 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 a day and i i I like to think that everyone that spent a day with me has gone away feeling more confident uh having more tools that they can use when they're standing up in front of people.
0: Coaching people to do award ceremonies is interesting. I bet you would clean up if you could come up with a foolproof method of getting the audience to shut up during the awards themselves rather than talking over everything.
2: Roger, there, there, there isn't. Uh, <laughs> it, again, you know, that's. Uh, people make promises about uh, courses. Uh, one promise people make on presentation courses, for instance, is uh, we'll help you get rid of the nerves. Well, that's a load of old rubbish. Yes. Because you'll never get rid of the nerves. You, you do lots of presentations. You must know this. Every time you stand up, you have some nerves. If you don't, you will make a poor presentation.
0: To a certain extent, I always think the nerves are some of the things that carry you through. I yeah. always sit at, you know, just as I'm about to step up. It's almost like the heartbeat starts to go, the adrenaline starts to go, you you're almost like a sheen of sweat might appear on the forehead, but you know you're about to go and as soon as somebody says right introduces you, bang, you're up there and it usually works out fine. I find the nerves actually carry you into it. It's it's yeah. really quite powerful.
2: The, the the trick is is to harness that nervous energy. Yes. And to to use it to project yourself. On, on the stage, I, I mean, corny phrase. It's not about getting rid of the butterflies, but getting the butterflies flying in formation.
0: Right? <laughs> I like uh, that illusion.
2: Yeah, I mean, that, so yeah, I do that sort of. With awards, you're you're never going to shut people up because they've got booze on their table. You know, their category's probably gone. They've won it. They're celebrating why on earth would they shut up and i mean i mean nothing's worse than a a ward night presenter standing there saying well please can we have some quiet oh i know can you please be quiet (laughs) why the bloody hell do i want to be i've opened the champagne I've won the award I've coveted all my bloody life I you know, there's <laughs> someone standing on the stage telling me to shut up this is not working for me um I, so the, you know, the, the the trick is about pacing yourself people go with award ceremonies it's no good starting off at full volume full whack really in your face because you've got no gears to go through as you go through the presentation you need to go through the gears you'll need to to raise it you'll need to get bigger you'll need to get louder you'll need to get more forceful uh um, to get over the noise because the noise will grow. You just have to accept it.
0: Interesting. Interesting and fascinating. David, thank you so much for coming on the Empath podcast this morning to talk to me about social media, the financial services industry, and the fascinating subject of presentations and seminars. Roger, thank you very much for having me. And David, before we go, I always like to finish the Empath podcast with four quick business questions. Are you happy to stay just for a few more minutes to cover that off? Of course, Roger. If there was one thing that you could change about the financial services industry, perhaps by waving The magic wand, what would it be?
2: I I think, given where the industry is at the moment, I would think it would be learn to talk to customers as people. I still think the industry has, it falls into the trap constantly of thinking we've got products. Now, how do we find people to sell those products to? I think they talk to customers first and, and met their needs. And I know that's the mantra that sits behind uh, you know, endless um, you know, sales
0: conferences and management centers, all that sort of thing. They're not there yet. What's the one business model or a product or a campaign that's caught your attention in the last year? What did you like about it? Because
2: I, I actually like... The, the Prue Health product, because I actually think that that really um, does begin to—it's radically rethought a, a, a product that you know, it would just been stuck in a rut, I think, for, for generations. And I think the way they've thought about it in a much more holistic way, in a way that I think uh, people believe is, is interesting, is actually makes it more relevant to them.
0: Yeah, it's tapping into something that people are familiar with, i.e., keeping fit, eating healthy, and uh, and applying it to a pretty dull product like insurance. So yeah, very, very um, impressive way to do that. Tell us about an app or a gadget that's made a huge difference to your life and or your business.
2: I can't go anywhere without my iPad. It's transformed the way I work. I mean, it makes mobile working just so easy. It's brilliant. I mean, I can make a video on the iPad, I can edit it on the iPad. I can upload it from the iPad sitting sitting in a pub with decent Wi-Fi.
0: And finally, David, what's the best business book you've ever read? Tell us why you like it so much and what you took from it. Well, I, not say the best book I've ever read, but it was one that
2: I've, I've read recently, which absolutely transformed... Um a topic that I think a lot of people might find rather tedious, which is the topic of big data. I found a book which is called Big Data, a revolution that will transform how we live, work and think by Victor Meyer Schoenberger and Kenneth Corkier. And it's brilliant. If, if people are wrestling with what big data is, how it can transform business. It's a great book.
0: I'll have to dig that one out, David, because yeah, I agree with you. There's a lot of gobbledygook written about big data. And before we sign off, David, tell everyone how they can connect with you on wherever it is, Twitter, LinkedIn, your website, your email address. I will, of course, include all of these details in the show notes for this episode, which you can find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF. But tell us how to contact you, David. Uh, well, I'm a big
2: user of Twitter, as you well know, Roger, because I think that's, <laughs> that's how we initially set up this, um, this podcast. So I'm on Twitter under my own name, because I, I I don't believe in silly identities on Twitter, So uh, just David Warsfold you'll find me there uh, on LinkedIn, got a big profile on LinkedIn. I have my own website, which is at warsfoldmedia.co.uk or my email is david at warsfoldmedia.com. I'll be delighted to hear from anybody, talk about any of the uh, topics we've covered today.
0: That's great, David. And I hope that people do get in touch with you after listening to you on the Empath Podcast, particularly to talk about your views on social media and, of course, that very interesting presentation skills course that you run. David, thank you so much for talking to me today. Let me wish you every success for the future and hopefully I'll catch up with you again soon, probably at an awards ceremony or two.
2: Yeah, look forward to that, Roger.
1: To the Marketing Protection and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. If you are a provider or advisor or journalist and you have a product, campaign or business model you'd like to talk about, please get in touch. You can be the next guest on the show. And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's all just thoughts and opinions, okay?